So, um, I think you guys can look around, see my daughter Becky is here. Pleased to have her for a few days and a few days more. This afternoon, after lunch and all, we're going to head up and do some camping. Um, it'll be in the mountains. It won't be so bad. <clears throat> What's that? Yeah, I think I think most of that has passed through at this point. Um, a couple of things I, I want to bring to uh, our attention. Uh, first of all, um, there was a, another shooting. Bywater neighborhood. One young man was killed, another was wounded. Uh, Bywater, if you are familiar, where 665 comes in on Route 50 through Annapolis and then Forest Drive there. There's a safe way as you first come in on that road. Um, and that Bywater neighborhood is right behind the safe way there. Um, so again, I ask you to continue to uh, pray for peace. Annapolis, uh, and that you would um, ask that the Lord use these circumstances to draw people to him, that the church would be active, our, uh, our uh, pastor's prayer times, going to be moving our prayer this week uh, in the Bywater neighborhood. It's not one that we ordinarily go to. Um, this past Wednesday, we were praying over by, uh, oh, I struggle to remember this, actually over by the Greens, um, out that way, um, Victor Haven, if you're familiar with where that is, um, Georgetown East, out that way, where that school is, basically behind Bay Ridge Gardens, it's way down Forest Drive. It's right near the, the Alejos's, right? You come down Forest Drive and then turn right to go towards the Alejos's. And back there, uh, Bay Ridge Gardens is to the left, and Victor Haven is back in there. We had the opportunity, one of the pastors, a newer one, uh, part of our group, uh, Reverend Colbert, um, he's uh, now retired, but Church, and for those of you that might be interested in this, um, he clearly holds to uh, biblical sexuality. Uh, he's not part of that group. Um, as it turns out, I actually know his. Uh, I knew his mother. I know his sister, his brother, uh, from most of the, uh, the area many many years ago. But um, we had the opportunity to meet with him. He's also the chaplain for the Annapolis. Department, and so he's actually the one that is supplying us with uh, up-to-date information uh, when there's uh, violence that happens in the city of Shooter, so that we can pray and the pastors and uh, try to respond as quickly as possible. Um, and so he's been helpful as far as that goes. And and listen, I recognize that our congregation is spread out in many places. It's not the only place. I'm sure that in your houses, to your right, to your left, in your neighborhood, there was uh, domestic violence, abuse of one nature or another. Um, 
and I just ask that uh, we be praying for our neighbors. Our church is situated here in Annapolis. That's uh, where we are. Although, this last week, how, how many guys over in the Crofton and Gambrels area know where Gordon Park is? Okay. Um, Wall Chapel. You know where that road is? If you take Wall Chapel off of three there, go straight back. You, uh, Dairy Farm Road. There's a big park on your left, a bunch of ball fields, etc. Um, the, the recently formed West County Prayer Group met there. I rode out there with another pastor from here who's kind of coordinated these, these efforts. And we had, uh, I don't know, six or so pastors from that area. We were out there praying in Cork uh, Park um, for the west side of the county. And so and we have a North County group. You have to establish a South County group. We're trying to do it a little bit at a time. Um, and then once a quarter, there's uh, how many guys have heard of the C.S. Lewis Institute? Um, they do uh, a number of uh, classes here, but they also help support uh, prayer by doing a quarterly uh, prayer luncheon. And so our goal is to try to take that prayer luncheon and Developing these prayer groups and then get all these men together once a quarter at the C.S. Lewis Institute's prayer luncheon. Um, so just uh, um, what's happening as far as that in, in the community. I also want to encourage uh, folks here, and I'll probably say this again for our main congregation, uh, but reach out to our widows. Um, we have a number of them in our congregation. We give them a call. We visit them. But the scriptures are clear that caring for the widows is part of the responsibility of the church. I just want to remind you uh, to do that as well. Um, so we uh, are going to uh, be continuing our study in uh, Psalm 18. And as we talk about this, um, as I was reviewing it again, um, I had opportunity to look up more corresponding scriptures understanding how the translation of this psalm is done and, and, and how we approach it. And I was uh, amazed at a number of things. Uh, but, but one of the things I want to encourage you, how many guys have Spotify? Okay, um, Even if you don't have the Canon app, maybe you have Spotify. Um, there's uh, something out of Canon Press called excuse me, that's on Spotify as well, called All of Life for All of Christ. And I would say, I would encourage you to listen to those. They're really, I would I would say, they're kind of baiters. In other words, they're, they're, you listen to that, and then you want to listen to the rest in that series, get a canon subscription. But this past week, uh, Dr. Bonson was... Uh, know who Dr. Bonson was, um, quite an apologist, um, a theonomist, but uh, um, his talk was actually, it was on a series, I listened to the first one this week, it was on evolution, and uh, he was uh, driving at why evolution doesn't qualify as a theory, and really dealing with the um, the fact that evolution 
really develops out of philosophy, and it's a philosophy specifically to unseat God. Um, you know, if you can, uh, you can get a position where you are uh, removing God as creator, uh, well, that unwinds all kinds of things. One of the things that it does is that it empowers man to be to define his own morality. And of course, you know, one has to ask yourself this question: How is it that a relatively unknown um, professor, Darwin, writes a book, although he had friends in high places like Baker, um, who uh, Dr. Baker at, at Oxford, but. You know, he gets out there, he writes this book, The Origin of the Species. Why is it that it is so quickly, uh, you know, received, well-received? And, you know, it's because the heart of man is always looking for a way to unseat God. So all of a sudden now we have, you know, the product of uh, the Enlightenment, which is, you know, a revival of rationalism, right, man's intellect and we get to a place where we have um, where we have and by the way this is all going to roll into Psalm 18 uh, but but the enlightenment brings out the elevation of, of science and we begin to turn science into its own uh, philosophical and religious uh, tenets and so science quickly becomes, Instead of something to explore and understand God's creative hand, instead becomes an enemy to Christianity. And you know, sorry about that. The, the uh, yeah, I'm certain on that. But 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 when reading all of the poetical language that's in the second section of uh, of Psalm 18. I am reminded though as you look at some of the language that is that we use you know we use other parts of scripture to help us understand clearly how to translate um, the, the part of scripture that we're looking at. Um, there is a lot of you know and again we talked about it being poetical but it's also the reality of God in creation what happens when he shows up or when he speaks or what he does. And it just made me, as I was researching this, I was reflecting back to Dr. Monson's talk. Again, I encourage you to listen to it. It's a great listen. And if you're on the Canon app, I'd encourage you to listen to the whole series. I think there's three or four lectures on it that he's giving on it. But, uh, you know, as we look at this today, don't just look at Psalm 18 and say, this is just this flowery, poetical language, but also consider its implications in terms of God actually in creation. Obviously, some of it will say, well, there's imagery there, um, but, but where else in scriptures do we see this kind of imagery? And in some cases, God actually comes and engages, and when he does, these images that are spoken of in Psalm 18, um, they're there. They, they are actually there. The second thing I want to I reference is this. When, again, you consider other scriptures and how they might apply in here, 
um, I was I was amazed at all of these references that that again with the imagery that tie back to God's establishing His covenant with the people of Israel. So part of what David is doing in writing this psalm. Um, is he's referencing back, right? He talks about how God has always delivered him and done these things and provided mercies for him and all of this, right? But he isn't just thinking about his own life because it references images from when God establishes his covenant with the people of Israel when he comes down on the mountain. And I I want us just to be uh, mindful of that. We're going to pick up at verse uh, 7 and... Uh, work through and try to be all the way through carefully through verse 20 and that'll bring us next week we'll do the final two sections because the last section is really short I'll just remind you again that Psalm 18 has five sections verses 1 through 3 we see a desire to praise God for his wonderful deliverance Um, verses uh, 4 through 19 where these deliverances are described in strong poetical language. And again, I would encourage you as you think about strong poetical language, don't just limit yourself to that. Think about places in scripture where this type of situation actually occurs. The third section is verses 20 through 27, where um, you know the psalmist speaks to God's actions and his deliverance and they're described as acts of righteousness and mercy. You see, when, when God interacts with the world, it's always right, it's always good, and it's always for the mercy of his people, even when it's speaking of judgment. The fourth section, uh, 28 through uh, 45, uh, he... he uh, it's a place where he not only is, you know, looking back and recollecting what God has done, but also speaking in a way where he, he looks at it as future as well with an anticipation. So we have this whole, you know, projecting of talking about these great deeds and, and this great imagery. And then he, then he kind of lays out all of these things, remembering, remembering, remembering. And then in that fourth section, he's, he's saying, okay, I know God's faithfulness in the past. I can look for it in anticipation uh, for the future. Um, you know, how many of you guys have ever kept a, a prayer journal of sorts? Right? Has it ever encouraged you later to go back years later and look at those prayer journals and see how God has answered those prayers? And that's and, and so because of that, you're encouraged to do what? To pray more and to lean into him more, right? And that's what that's what David is doing in, in uh, this psalm, Psalm 18. And finally, the last section, verses 46 through 50, you see where David, the psalmist, um, talks about God's faithfulness, and he turns it not just to the faithfulness to himself, that God is doing all of this for himself, but there is a clear connection to Christ Jesus and the deliverance that's going to come to all men um, because Jesus is on the throne. God keeps his promises.
So uh, again, picking up at verse 7, it says this. Well, actually, I'm going to do this because, you know, contextually. I'll read 1 through 6, and then we'll pick up at 7. To the chief musician, a psalm of David, the servant of Yahweh, who spoke to Yahweh the words of this song on the day that Yahweh delivered him from the hand of all his enemies, from the hand of Saul. And he said, I will love you, O Yahweh, my strength. Yahweh is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon Yahweh, who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. The pangs of death surround me, and the floods of ungodliness made me afraid. The sorrows of Sheol surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon Yahweh. Now, I know I've said Yahweh a bunch here. I just want to talk about this. Remember, this is God's covenant name that he gave Israel. Right? <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> and I just want to point out that one of the reasons I feel compelled to, to read Yahweh there is because in today's day and age where they try to distance God and there's all this deism that maybe God exists, but they try to detach God from interacting in the world and having any presence here. And when you use Yahweh... Jehovah, if that's what your translation says, you are reminded that this is the covenant name of God, the personal God who has called you and called me, sent his son into the world, and is fully, or you know, by his providence and predestination, working in the world. He is not distant, he is with his people. And so he says, in my distress, I called upon Yahweh and I cried out to my God. He heard my voice from his temple. And remember, that's the place of covenant renewal. And of course, I think we talked about this last week, that this would be understood um, as the tabernacle, but also looking forward to the actual house of God. And of course, when you're thinking about the personal work of God, who is the temple today? What is the temple? We are. So you, you see this closeness of God in here to his people, to those that he's called. He's close. He's with us. We actually today are gathered together to form, be part of his temple today. It says, and my cry came before him even to his ears. Verse 7, then the earth shook and trembled, and the foundations of the hills also quaked and were shaken. Um, and then it goes, because he was angry. So we see that that the hills quaked, they're shaken. Um, you can think about it in terms of being inflamed because he was angry. Um, and, and, of course, you're going to see that in verse 8 it talks about smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth, right? So now, again, now you're seeing it. There's this building. Why, why did... The hills quake. Why did they shake? Well, he was angry. The wrath of God was there. His holiness was there, as a matter of fact. Right? And there was a devouring fire from his mouth, and coals were kindled by it. 
You know, we see in both Deuteronomy 32 and Exodus 19, it talks about how when God came down, right, and he set up his uh, covenant with the people of Israel, you know, was there fire? Were the hills shaking? Right, this is what I'm talking about, seeing this imagery and recognizing, yes, it's poetical and it's drawing out, but when you think about calling on covenant name of God, right? And you, you use that as your lens and you look back and say, wait a minute, when God established that covenant, what was happening? Right? The hills were shaking. There was smoke, fire, and clouds. And God gave them blessings and curses. And you know what else he did? He talked about how if those who oppose you, what's going to happen? He was going to deliver them. You see, just just a slight change of instituting God's covenant name into your reading all of a sudden changes how you look and associate what he's speaking here. Verse 10. And he rode, oh, excuse me, verse 9. And he bowed the heavens also and came down with darkness under his feet. Again, we see uh, in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 5, verse 22, he talks about uh, the, the thick, heavy cloud that you cannot see uh, or see through. Again, you see the dense clouds and vapor in Deuteronomy 19, verse 16 as well. Verse 10, and he rode upon a cherub and flew, and he flew upon the wings of the wind. Um First of all, this cherub, it's, it's singular here. Um, it, it's, it's thinking about how God comes, and, and we know that the cherub, um, what did they do? They brought messages. What else did they do? Throne guardians. He is riding like a, like a victorious king upon the throne guardian. What, what does that equate to? That when the enemies of God assault God's people, it's an assault on the king and his throne. Right? If we, if we were to grow up, um, uh, I, you know, in, in medieval times, we would think differently about this. Um, how many guys have, uh, have seen uh, the movie Braveheart? There's a line in there that says, an assault on the king's guard is an assault on the king himself, right? And, of course, we look at this, and we actually recognize in that story that there was the wickedness of the king's guard was because of the wickedness of the king, right? He had ill intent for the Scots, Scottish people. What we need to recognize is God's people remain calm. When the enemies of God come against God's people, right? It's an assault against his throne. And he rides out and he brings deliverance. Um, where it says he flew upon the wings of the wind, <clears throat> you could understand this. Uh, there's a passage in Deuteronomy 28, verse 49, where it talks about uh, the, the eagle soaring. And it's the same language. So he's not just coming out he is soaring in a great and mighty way. 
you know, one time I was camping out in uh, the Buffalo National River, and uh, my sons and I were standing by the river, and it's up in, it's in the Ozark Mountains, or, you know, I know compared to these mountains or the Rockies, they're just foothills, but nonetheless, um, I'm still, we were down by the river, you know, the mountains up here, and we happened to be standing there, and we saw, see some eagles kind of flying around, and we're moving around, doing different things, and at one point, one of those eagles from what looked like to me, 500, I don't know, maybe 1,000 feet, because he was pretty small to my eyesight. He dove way up there, all the way down to the river, and snatched a fish out of that river and flew off. Now, that's a pretty amazing sight just to see in nature, right? But that's because that eagle, even though he's soaring up there, what is it? He sees small details. You know, nothing escapes God's eye. When he comes out, he brings deliverance. Verse 11, he made darkness his secret place. His canopy around him was dark waters and thick clouds of skies. Um, you know, think back to, this is creational language here, right? We think about this. Dark waters, darkness, secret place. It was all dark, and the Spirit was hovering over the waters. You know, God's work in our lives began before creation, and here He is at work in our life today. From the brightness before Him, as thick clouds passed with hailstones and coals and fire. And, and by the way, this brightness is before him. This is, this is unsupportable by mortal people, right? We can't stand before him. What, what does God do with Moses when his glory and his light passes by? He hides him. And he hides him, right? God covered him with his hand. He hides him. And still yet, what happens? His light is so great, Moses is glowing, right? We, we see, we see that, that uh, we can't stand before this. So if those whom, whom he has called it as people can't stand in their own works this way, how are the evil ever going to be able to withstand him? So, but, but this, um, we'll see here that it talks about these thick clouds passed with hailstones and coals of fire. And we see that it then says, And Yahweh thundered from heaven, and the Most High uttered his voice in hailstones and coals of fire. So this is speaking of divine judgment, right? What about Genesis 13? When he brings fire and brimstone, hailstones to where? Sodom and Gomorrah. Right? Uh, what about when he brings hail into Egypt to set his people free? What about in Joshua? Right? Joshua chapter 10, I believe, where hailstones are coming. God brings deliverance. And sometimes when he does it, like, you know, we kind of live in this world where, um, you know, we think, well, I've never seen the hailstones. I've never seen the great 
uh, deliverance of God, not, not in some mighty miraculous way. God is at work, and actually, what a horrible and terrible thing for someone's demise to be so demonstrated that God does that. And of course, it's interesting, too, that, that compared to the flood, the judgment of hailstones, it's pretty surgical. And, and, but, and, and here's the thing. Remember, God limits himself. I'm never going to destroy the whole world again. For what purpose? So that he may redeem man. Right? But, but at the same time, he does bring specific judgments. And, of course, we know, too, that God does bring judgments. Even yet today, droughts, war, difficulties, all the things, disease, real disease, of course, uh, but but all of this, it's all visible on earth. God acts, becomes visible. Verse 14, he sent out his arrows and scattered the foe. Lightnings in abundance, and he vanquished them. Um, there's a couple of things here. One, this uh, it, where it says, you know, he sent out his arrows and he scattered the foe. And, and I'll point this out again if you've ever watched any... Uh, movies that show a bunch of archers and you know it just it's almost like when you have you know a thousand archers out there and there's so many arrows it almost looks like a cloud you know it's almost darkening you know when you look up at the sky and and when he brings his arrows people flee and he brings these lightnings in abundance that means that it is enough to deal with the issue. You know, if we're out there and we were facing somebody and we shoot a bunch of arrows, you know, we don't know that if it's that it's sufficient enough. Maybe they put their shields up enough were enough were able to uh, address that and, and, and be protected and to flee and be protected. But no, when God does it, it's enough to meet the need. As a matter of fact, that, that next phrase, and he vanquished them, this is a military term that says that, that means um, to have um, sudden panic. Now, I, I've not been in uh, a, a situation where people have been shooting at me. Okay? I've not been in warring scenarios. Right? Um, there's been a few times in my life, though, where I recognized my mortality and I felt very exposed and undone and helpless to do anything. Right? That's what this is talking about. It's talking about that when God acts and he does this, he does this so completely that there's a sudden panic. They recognize they cannot enemies of God cannot overcome. In in the next verse, verse 15, Then the channels of the sea were seen, the foundations of the world were uncovered at your rebuke, O Yahweh, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils. Um, You know, it it talks about how here, and and we we 
and almost, and, and this is really, I have to rely on, on some translators for this, but when the channels of the sea were seen, the foundations of the world were uncovered, right? This is almost saying, like, we're, this is so big a move of God that the world is turned upside down. Because when were the foundations of the earth first seen? When God created it, right? So you have the waters, and the foundations of the earth all being done. Hey, now, our God is powerful enough to bring deliverance to us, right, in such a way that the world looks like it's it's restarting. I mean, if, 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 if all of a sudden you went from what we see outside right now, right, and you were brought all the way back to the creation, um, you would feel pretty small. You would recognize again the fact that you were completely undone before God. And this is what God is doing to the enemies of his peoples. Verse 16, he sent from above... He took me so my feet did not slip. So he goes from these grand expressions to that he that he sent from above and he took me so his feet so so my feet did not slip. He goes from these grand things to this very personal. In the midst of all this that's going on, God responds specifically to David. Could, but but I think also well there's all kinds of things so, so and, and I don't really get into this today we we're, we're going to be talking about water baptism but but when you think about this remember that um, when the spirit was there and there were waters and then he divided the waters the waters above from the waters below part of the imagery in baptism as it relates to creation is the waters above are the, the waters that, that become the barrier, the firmament between us and God, right? So as we go through the waters of baptism, because of the work of Jesus Christ, we are now able to enter in uh, to his presence. So in, in one way, when it's talking about the waters, we can think about them as it's judgment for those that are cut off, and it's also grace and mercy for those that are in Christ Jesus. Um, well, I, certainly death in the way that you would say that all that are cut off from God are dead in their trespasses. And if God does not call them, they don't repent of their sins, what happens? Then, then there's a final death. That's right.
does, but I'll just make this illusion for you. So Jesus' life, if you look at the book of Matthew, mirrors the unfaithful son of Israel coming out of Egypt. Right? Jesus comes out of Egypt. All of the rest of Jesus' life and all the things that he did show that Jesus is the faithful son where the people of Israel were not. Right? And there's this whole... So, so yes, we can, we can look at the Old Testament, but there is no... Israel was unfaithful. There is no deliverance in Israel itself at this point. The deliverance is in Jesus Christ alone. Um, and that's worthy of a whole study all by itself. But, but, but I, you're, you're absolutely uh, right with that. until the Lord opens your eyes. By the way, I made a mistake um, there um, because I have my pages turned wrong. And <clears throat> I, I read that scripture, verse 16, incorrectly. Verse 16, I had, when I, when I turned my page, um, I, was on, uh, I was on verse 47 instead of, uh, so, so verse 16 says, he sent from above, he took me, uh, with the pure, you show yourself pure, and with the devious, you show yourself you show yourself shrewd. Um, and actually, I think that actually speaks a little bit to what you're saying there. He did take him from above. He did rescue him in a personal nature. But with those that are pure, and you can only be pure in your faith in Christ Jesus. First. Man, I'm all messed up. Take a second here. No, that's right. He drew me out of many waters. Um, so, verse 16. Yeah. yeah, he sent me from above. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. And then in verse 17, he delivered me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for those who were too strong for me. And that reminds us out of our weakness. Uh, just to try to finish up here, this, this last section, these last two verses, he says this. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but Yahweh was my support. And, and in this support, you know, the, you see all of these references back to creation, back to the establishment of his covenant. So it's the past of his people. It's the, it's the current of his people and himself. And that means that God, too, will be faithful in future trials. And finally, in verse 19, he also brought me out into a broad place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. And uh, in this, I think it's important that um, why does he delight in us? Well, first of all, he chooses us. And as we'll see as we get into this next section next week, that um, you're going to say, wow, he speaks very confidently of his own righteousness here. Some can say, well, that's an allusion to Christ, right? But the, but the truth is this. There is clear faithfulness 
um, in, in God. And, and he says to us, have faith, believe, and off that belief, take action. Right? And, 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 the, and we'll see again later where he's going to talk about uh, great wickedness. That's really apostasy. Right? So, so how, how does, have you ever thought about how to reconcile David's sins to be in a man after God's own heart? The reality is, what did he do? He repented. And then he believed God that he was forgiving him and that he would be delivered. Right? That's right. And, and what, we have to, what we have to do is, and this is where we struggle with doubt. When we sin, repent. Be restored. Believe God. That Jesus Christ, as it says in 1 John 1 9, that he's faithful and just to forgive. Right? Confess it. Confess it. Don't hide it. Don't cling to it. Don't nurture it. Cut it off. Ask God for his forgiveness. Be restored. Right? Good. Is there something? I couldn't tell if it was just a shoulder move or a hand raise. All right. Um, any last questions or comments before we'll pick up next week? I'm sorry I got kind of discombobulated there for a minute. Um, but I, I think it's important that we remember God is faithful. He is at work. He is not distant. Right? In Christ Jesus, he's definitely not distant. And the work that he does in our lives and in our children's lives, right? he is um, our God, God for our children and for all those that are afar off. And you think about this, David's reflecting backwards and forwards. And because of God's faithfulness, looking back, be confident today, be confident for future generations. And we know that it was messy too, right? We saw that afterwards. Anyway, let us pray. Our God and our Father, we thank you for your great mercies. We thank you for the encouragement from your word. Help us... Heavenly Father, to trust in you. Please prepare our hearts for worship and the renewal of your covenant promises with us. We cannot deliver ourselves, nor can we sustain ourselves. So, Lord, we lean completely on you, believing and trusting in you. In Jesus' name, amen.